Hey screen rats, couch potatoes, watchers of the screen. Today's guest is the wonderful actor Andrew P. Stephen. He's a star of stage, television and film and he's here to talk to us about all things telly. Now, Andrew did say he was using an external mic but I'm not massively sure it was plugged in uh, because the audio quality is less than perfect. I've worked my magic and tried my best to make most of it audible and legible. Uh, let's just see how we get on. But apologies for the bad audio in advance. So here we go. This is Television Times podcast featuring the great Andrew P. Stephen. Go for coffee! Roll up, roll up. Welcome to Television Times, a new podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms. From my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them and what made them laugh and cry here on Television Times. There's three settings on the back of this mic. Yeah. Let me just have a look, see what they are. That's right. Uh, one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Those well-known so, mic settings, one, two, and three. Uh, we'll go for two. It sounds like something, or maybe you do know, what's his name? The the um, Inspector Calls guy. I remember being at the Playhouse once and he leant back to me and he just stared at me with his one good eye and just went, um, can you just put that up half a point? And then I, I looked at him and went, what? And he went, yeah, that's better. <laughs> and nothing happened. I like to look like I'm in control, even when I don't know what I'm talking about. I know. I can't remember if I met him or whether you just described him so vividly that I, I feel like I did. I, I think I thought of auditioned for it once. I think it was with him. Yeah, he's a, he was the director of the children, I believe. In, um, well, we can't besmirch him on here, so I have to cut this. But he was like the first guy I knew who was like, fifth, when I found out he was 54 or something, the year, the age I'm going to be in October, I remember thinking, what? Because he was like, trainers and bouncy and kind of like a a young guy and he's the first time first young 50 something like jimmy savile (laughs) jimmy savile that fucker comes up almost every episode of this so far so what i do at the beginning of this because there's an audience out there who's going to hear you so i ask every guest to just tell the audience a bit about themselves Professionally, <laughs> however you, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. Uh, well, my name's Andrew Stephen, uh, Andrew P. Stephen uh, is what I call myself uh, in Spotlight and IMDb or whatever. Uh, I'm an actor. I've mainly done theatre over the years on pretty much all levels, uh, and now I'm making little forays into into film and television. So we've known each other for about 20 years, a bit more, tiny bit more. It would have been a tour of Woman in Black in 2001, I think. Wakefield, I believe I met you. Opened in Wakefield, uh, didn't it? Yeah. Opened in Wakefield. We shared digs, became firm friends. But it was one of those things for me, like I'd done a few tours before that. Tours, sounds like we're in the army. I'd done a few tours before that and made friends. But you're never really massively sure if you're friends or tour friends. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I remember our friendship being solidified, like cemented, um, three years later, when we did another tour in Asia, we went to India and Singapore. That's right, and that very was. Much so. to, <laughs> what's your biggest memory about that? That was yeah, that was a very kind <laughs> of uh, watershed period, yeah. wasn't it? No, I, I remember you you were walking into the um, the Fortune uh, just before that tour, 
uh, and being vaguely introduced to you by, well, sort of you were, your, your, um, arrival being announced by either Kenny or I think it was Robin probably. Yeah, Robin, the director, always used to say something like, Steve Otis Gunn, as I live and breathe. He would say that every time I walked in at the beginning of every every single yeah. <laughs> tour that I did. One of about, well, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't got them written down. I'm probably on a CV somewhere, but not like you. essentially from the year 2000 to, no, I have, I bet I have. I bet I got them in this big book underneath here. But there is um, a seven or eight year period where I am literally doing Woman in Black one year. Inspector calls the next year. Woman in Black the next year. And even yeah. sometimes, I think I did it twice. I think 2005, I did both shows. So, and then went straight to Australia and did another tour of Inspector. So That's I right. lived on those two shows for seven or eight years and handsomely, well, no, I wasn't handsomely paid. I was paid enough to save enough money to basically work for six, seven months and then go away for the remainder of the year usually to Asia or somewhere, and then come back and start another job generally in January. You tell me the guitar you bought that on that tour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would go to Japan. I would record an album. I, I'd spend a load of money I didn't have on a load of equipment. Then I'd come back and usually sell like a Takamine yeah. or some kind of Strat, not Strat, Telecaster to Andrew in hope that I could buy it back. He was like my own personal... That's right. You- <laughs> what they called in America? Um those stores, um, not thrift store, the one with the pawn, pawn right. broker. Uh, you'd have the guitar for a couple of years and I'd try and buy it back off you. Hang on a minute. Have I accidentally put on a guitar podcast? Get on with the talk about telly. Come on. So I'm going to start uh, with a format point, I think, pretty early on, just a fun one to get things started. What was the first person or character on television that gave you that funny, fizzy feeling? Funny, fizzy feeling. Uh, well. You fancied them, but you didn't know why. Yeah, well. That's that. It, it's an interesting point. Um, my elder brother, who's only a year older than me, was always very much more front foot yeah. than me. I was always very much more kind of reflective of back foot. And I remember the first time uh, he, or, or I remember the early stages of him seeing like girls on television and sort of this implication of that they were yeah. quite fanciable in some way, and finding it a little bit uh, slightly. You know, unnerved. What's, what's all this then? But also kind of exciting as well. Um, and, uh, but sort of coming at it from a slightly different, different angle. It wasn't because it was, it was a group of people that I knew that sort of talked about things in that way. It was, it was, it was more personal in some level. But I remember girls, I remember Black Beauty. This is very, I don't know. Oh, we can't afford that theme. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> The Lloyd's Bank advert. Yeah. Uh, and and there were, I think there were two girls on that. And Well, there were, I know there were. Um, the second, which was, was Stacey Dorning, who became, I don't know, she was on children's telly. And she had Stacey a kind of, Dorning? Uh, kind of a Cupid doll face, big eyes and um, very uh, approachable in a way. Um, but there was another one, and I think probably before, I think there might have been a couple of series or something, and she was called Judy Balker, and she had a much more sort of grave beauty, a much more sort of serious, slightly unapproachable. She might have been thinking of nothing at all. I have no idea. But, you know, you project. And I remember finding her in, intriguing. And, and the fact that if she got sad, it seemed to be quite all-encompassing and, 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 and very involving. And I remember finding that very attractive. And I think that that sort of Edwardian vibe or whenever it was set yeah. or in the whatever it was kind of stuck with me in a, in a sense uh 
so there was there was there was definitely that very early on and then you know later i remember reading the book walk about school uh, with the class in english and then the, the film was going to be on telly and my english teacher said um ask your mum ask your parents if you can stay out and watch it but of course it was a nick rogue film and it had yeah. loads of nudity in it and she was absolutely appalled that she'd that he'd recommended we really? watched it. How old were you when she said to watch it? I was probably 13, 14, something like that. So it wasn't 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 a, a, a little child, but I remember being utterly captivated by Jenny Agatha in Walkabout. Uh, and apparently Nick Cave was as well. And this was on television? It was on telly. It was probably at sort of half oh, nine right, or yeah, something. I have heard this before. BBC One, I think. And so it meant sort of staying up till... So that's what people don't realise is that there weren't films on TV all the time. There was like maybe one yeah. or two a week, right? That's, that's right. It was scheduled and heavily advertised. Yeah, and, and people yeah. watched them, you know, in, in, their, in their masses. And it was a very art, it's a very arty film, uh, a strangeness, a sort of dreamlike sort of quality of it, which kind of enhanced the, that, that sort of, you know, people talk about the male gaze and all that kind of thing now, but it, there was something, you know, it didn't seem... It wasn't like in any way carry-on-ish or sort of tree-coo. It was, you know, this sort of beautiful, natural nakedness. It's funny you mentioned the carry-on films because I think the first time I ever saw mostly naked breasts was probably Barbara Windsor in, in Carry-on Camping. Camping. That would have probably been the first time I ever saw. And yeah. I don't remember, yeah, the bra flying off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was considered okay for kids to watch, right, at the time? It was. It, it, it's that strange... Um, uh, seaside postcard thing isn't it uh that yeah, is, that's what i was going to say the seaside postcard yeah and it, it's funny i mean obviously my my wife is swedish and they don't have any sense of smut or that cheeky kind of attitude to 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 to, to sexiness oh you know well if they do it's, it's certainly not a, a mainstream thing but it's very much or it was very much part of um English, British life, it's certainly in the, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, and probably to a lesser extent earlier on. If you're mentioning, like, obviously, Victorian and Edwardian, it's British repression, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, we all feel those things, but we're not really supposed to. Oh, it's rude. Oh, look at that. Babe. Oh, you know, matron. It's all that stuff. But it's this funny sort of the chase, isn't it? The chase of women, um, these these funny, dizzy creatures tottering about and these kind of rather... Yeah. Benny Hill, the yeah. intro to Benny Hill. You know, that's exactly what that is. Slightly in, inadequate or unlikely men. Chasing women. Are. Sort of <clears throat> rubbing their thighs. Yeah, rubbing their thighs. Oh, even Vic Reeves did that right to the 90s. Yeah. Um, you know, the thigh rubbing, the chasing the girl, and basically uh, as a millennial or, or Generation uh, Y would, what is this one? Generation Z would absolutely consider to be sexual um, abuse. Yeah. <laughs> Going up and grabbing yeah. their dresses and squeezing their asses. And, and it's supposedly funny. And that's what we all grew up with, this sort of, um, Completely. you know, kiss chase yeah. essentially. I mean, I, I always felt quite outside it, but, but not not that I was above it in some way, but it, that, that it was, um, I was too too shy to be, you know, to put myself in the position of somebody who was going to chase after someone in that kind of way or, or, or impose myself on them. Uh, but it was very much kind of the way it was shown. It, it was it was the way that it was done almost. It was what you were brought up with. And if you if you... If you didn't really feel capable of it, you were, again, you would like to feel a bit inadequate in some way. Absolutely. Well, I don't. I think I've only just made that connection between the chasing, like the Benny Hill thing, and, and the carry on. Because mm -hmm. I, in it, I believe in infant school, I was reprimanded for kiss chase because I remember playing kiss chase, which I think is probably illegal now, and um, where you would chase a girl you liked and try and kiss her. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember taking it to new heights and really, really going for it. <laughs> and I was told off and I would have been, well, before 10, you know, yeah. eight, something like that. And I wonder if I was literally copying television because where would I have got it from? It's very mixed messages, isn't it? You're right. I, I think people really don't care anymore. When um, a certain actor whose name we won't mention, but everyone knows who it is, who was, um, there was a big, they tried to sort of out him for being pegged by prostitutes or whatever. He'd go to prostitutes, very well-known actor in a very well-known show. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And when it came out, no one cared. I didn't care. Did you care? No one cares. It's like, whatever you do, that. who cares uh, about that? Do you know who it is? I don't know. I'll edit it out. <laughs> this out so he was um outed by one of the tabloids as they were gonna like we're gonna release this information about this actor who's been going to prostitutes and having them shove dildos up his ass or whatever mm-hmm. and it came out and everybody went well, that's a bit weird but like it hasn't changed my opinion of him i mean sometimes i do think about it when i'm watching with the kids but <laughs> <laughs> i can't leave this in but um <laughs> We can't say we can't say who it is. No, we we can't say who it is. <laughs> so I did. Um, I don't know how I'm going to edit this. We'll have to just keep bleep his name out. But I did some extra work on it on one TV show. Oh, this is television. One TV show. So in oh, I'm going to say '98. Uh, yeah, about 1998. You might know the story. I might have told you. Me and my friend Desi, he was after some work. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, there's extra work at the job center." So <laughs> it's so weird. We went to the job center. I had a job. We went to the job centre in Fulham and he put his name down for extra work. And so I was there, so I did the same thing. He didn't get it, I did. And about three days later, I was whisked away to some really fancy country house to be an extra in the miniseries based on Oswald Mosley. All right. <laughs> and I've since found clips of me. I've found clips of... We cannot mention walking in talking to someone and there's me in the background going for it and wiggling my head sticking my mustache back on moving the fucking salt cellars around to fuck up the continuity and then after a little while uh so you you sitting at the table i'm in there you can see me i mean i'll, I'll send you a link you can see it i'm on youtube it's blatantly me uh, um and <laughs> so i got this gig and it was really funny and we're there all day i, I think i got paid 50 quid that's the number i seem to remember but i might be making a lot of money in them days <laughs> i do remember they came to me at the end no they, they came to the crowd of extras and they said does anyone here play piano and i went well yeah i sort of played piano well i did i was selling pianos a few years before so i was like yeah i can kind of play and they went great took me to makeup slicked all my hair back put a different different clothing on me took the mustache off stuck me in front of a wooden piano uh, a, sorry, a piano with with a, a, a sort of wooden fake keyboard where the keys didn't move up or down. And I had to pretend to play this um, tune. And in the background at the time, it was like some kind of Charleston kind of music, really fast. And I was like pretending. They said, don't worry, we won't see your hands. You just need to, you know, have the movement up and down. So, okay, this big camera pans across. And then when it came out, the tune was like, some kind of real chill out thing and my hands are fucking going mental (laughs) doesn't make any sense (laughs) 
Well, listen, I'm really looking forward to your upcoming appearance in this TV show, Silo. Yeah. I have one question for you beforehand, because this won't go out until it's on anyway. Um, are you American in it? Y- yes. Um, it, it's very strange. I mean, you know, I did understudying and whatever and fringe and little bits and bobs for years and years and years. Yeah. And then because of the whole lockdown thing, it suddenly became the thing to do to do um, uh, self-tapes. And both the things I filmed at the beginning of last year were self-tapes. I didn't even meet a casting director. One of them was this big Apple series, Silo, and another one was a a, a main part in a, a low budget, but, you know, decent uh, horror thriller, whatever, called um, Dark Game, which is uh, coming out later this year. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, and so, so yeah, and, and both of them were Americans. We did have some vocal coaching on it. I mean, the fact that because they're supposed to have lived underground in this Silo, what's left of the human race or whatever is, is living underground in this Silo, and has done for generations. Yeah. And of course, there, there isn't any regional accents if they all live together. And there isn't really a sort of a classy thing. I suppose there might be, but it was yeah. the, the idea was that they wanted everybody to speak as alike as possible, I think. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of um, English people pretending to be American. I thought, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with the show. I love the show. It's really, really intriguing. But I thought, Oh, surely different levels would have different accents. I thought that'd be cool. Yeah, I think I think I asked about that. You know, whether you know there's any mileage in, you know, that the, the lower down the totem pole you are, um, because there's these sort of different strata of, of workers or whatever. You yes, know, that they exactly. might, in the way society does, they might develop sort of a, a superior accent or a more um, subversive accent or whatever. Well, yeah, you would think the ones on the upper floors would be posher, and the ones on yeah. the in the engine room at the bottom would be maybe a little more common without sounding rude yeah i mean absolutely whatever that means but i mean the common man whatever, working class in some kind of way and my characters were supposed to be a very uh disaffected um rather angry geezer and i imagine that he might have this rather curse and throw away kind of way of speaking um but it but i guess the nature of television to some degree is that things like that are not they're certainly not really addressed on set because there's so much technology i mean basically my scene it's, it's, it's a three-person scene me and and rebecca yeah. and, and this other actor who seems he's not on um he's not credited as being in silo on imdb at the moment that's worried me slightly because i think i think cut my scene <laughs> huh who is who's the other actor chinaza uche the imdb is never um, that i can watch things and see a person in it and they online it says they're not in it so i wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't well, put too well, much weight on fingers, that fingers crossed but it it, it, it was a fairly simple scene on the face of it, but while we were filming it, they they would change the camera angle and set up from a different angle, and then suddenly a whole parade of extras would come marching behind me. Like here's some school kids coming along, chatting. Oh. Da, 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 da. oh, there's a guy sweeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with a, with a bag, and you know, and the Sherpa, the guys, the guys with the bags running up the stairs. Yeah. And, and and they're being marshaled. You know, I had no idea. I hadn't meet, met any of these people, or so they they were not. In my dressing room, my sort of little trailer part with the with the expensive Swedish coffee machine and and one of, <laughs> and then they're suddenly all there. And go, oh my, what's happening? <laughs> what I'm seeing on the screen looks obviously enormous and mad, a bit like Star Wars. So, uh, I mean, without giving too much away, how much of what I'm looking at is there, and how much is like? Did they have wraparound screens, or was it all? What, what, what they, they, it was a fairly massive set, uh, which was a massive kind of truck depot kind of place you know which is now it's right. kind of hollowed out it's, it's, it's vast it's it's basically the existing buildings as far as i can tell with a whole village of of um 
places that are being used for makeup and hair and, uh, and, and the multiple dressing rooms. But this massive central space, and there may have been others, this sort of stage, which is um, on yeah. different levels. It's got a huge central space with this massive staircase going up. There are bits of it that were green. So, we're on- oh, so there are real levels there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's massive. And, and oh, okay. this incredibly painted, um, almost like slightly deco-ish houses and, or, or dwellings all the way around it. It's all sort of aged. And, yeah. And very, it was very, very impressive. And it's just, just fast and, and, and huge. It looks very metallic on screen. Yeah. Like it looks like everything is made of iron. Yeah. It's not. It's not. <laughs> so I, the commitment, I find it very difficult to commit to TV these days. I, will admit. I completely agree with you. It, it's an interesting, that's interesting. The way that uh, you perhaps used to kill time, the concept of killing time, it's both an age thing. And I think it's also... You know, I, I'm I can get quite frustrated at not wanting to 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 be bogged down or feel committed to something that that to, to me is ultimately a waste of time. When I think, well, I'm on the downwards slope now. <laughs> I've only got so much time left. But also, I think the fact that there is so much choice, yeah, that you that if you're not really getting on with something, you think how many episodes? I'm not sticking through twelve episodes of this and then at the end of it going. Well, I've spent how many days of my life watching this nonsense, and, yeah. and it's—I knew from the beginning it wasn't going to be very good. But that sometimes there are TV shows that that end before their time, and I'm quite happy about it. Like, like at the moment, um, two shows that I love, Barry and Succession, are coming to an end. They're great shows, both ending on season four, fantastic, and I'm looking forward to it being not just being over, but I, I love the way that they've decided to end it relatively early, hmm. and just do good episodes and not drag it the fuck out for another decade, like what they do with Walking Dead or a million spin-offs. I couldn't get I couldn't get into a world like that. That's why I never watched Game of Thrones. Never seen it. I probably will at some point. It'll be like a Sopranos moment. I'll yeah. pick a moment and I'll watch it. Yeah. But do, right now it doesn't seem to be my cup of tea. So you know but that, and it's, so that eking it out that or stretching it out thing is it's it's sullying the legacy, isn't it? You've got You've got something that's called the yes. multi-tower syndrome, isn't it? That everybody is the paragon of um, British comedy and all that because they only made 12 episodes. Um, but, yeah, you don't want to outstay your welcome, do you? And, and sort of flogging a dead horse and jumping the shark and all that kind of stuff. When you speak like that, I immediately think of Lost, which had about three seasons that were just treading water. Mm. And and then it ended in a way that everyone was just like, huh? Mm. And it didn't, it didn't wrap it up. I mean, they should have just left it. I don't know, three seasons in, keep it weird, get cancelled, we'll never know what happened. Yeah. In some ways, that's better. Leave it to the imagination, I think so. like the plays we've worked on. Yeah, I think that um, either you know, spinning out something out too long or, or sometimes just tying something up too neatly. Yeah. And, you know, you think about something like, I don't know, the Big Bang Theory or something, which, which went on for a long time. And then the basic premise of what these kind of people were like, these dysfunctional people, it becomes they all sort of settle down and their clothes become less colourful. And, you know, and you think that's not what this programme is about. And you don't necessarily want to see something turning into becoming more normalised. It's, it's, it seems to me partly the vanity of the actors to some degree, to some, some extent. You know, this idea of wanting to be loved in a way. You start off by saying, look, I'm good at being this great character. And then you end up, it becomes, you inevitably sort of, because it takes up so much of your time, so much of your life, people end up playing themselves a bit too much and looking for validation for their own personal selves. And that isn't, to me, as good television. 
are shows that go on too long. Uh, my, as you, I'm probably bored you with before. One of my favourite shows is Kirby Enthusiasm with Larry David. Obviously, yeah. fantastic. Has become a parody of itself, but it's almost like a parody of the parody of itself now. And it's ending yeah. after twenty something years. It's, it hasn't done twenty seasons. Obviously, I think it's twelve or thirteen. Um, but the point being, it didn't. It doesn't seem like it outstayed its welcome. Like it went away for a bit, then it came back pretty strong. It's for its audience. It's not for new people. You're not going to come in at season 10 and start watching that and think it's funny. It's for me. No, it's, right. for the, it's for the people that have yeah. been with it the whole way. It's like a little treat that comes along every now and again. And the fact that he's ending it makes total sense to me and it probably should have happened before. But I'd argue that that one, it's, it's managed to dodge all that just by taking little breaks and knowing what it is and not changing. I mean, it has not changed. This first season and the last season... It's the same show. I mean, to some people that would be repetitive and boring. To me, it's absolute genius. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I don't, I haven't followed it in in the way that you have, but it, there, there is something quite sort of meta about it as well. Is that that kind of hall of mirrors thing that that it's that it because it plays with the idea of what is of reality and um, you know spontaneity and you know making things up as you go along or whatever. That, that, that somehow that that does lend itself in a way to repetition. You know that sort of um, yeah. cyclical thing. You know it, it kind of works there. It's when you're, it's when you've just got. I mean, even even a, even a single movie or or a made-for-television thing. Sometimes you can see how well it starts, and then by the end of it, it it goes crap, even within the space of a couple of hours, because they've kind of gone off the boil, or yeah. they've had some great ideas to kick around, and then they think they've got to resolve them in a certain way, or or you can see that. Um, Maybe part of it was written almost as a pilot or something, uh, and full of ideas and invention. And then by the end of it, they're they're running a bit thin, or they don't know where to take them further. And in a, in a sense, I think you know, as an audience member, um, I like to be sort of uh, treated with the the respect that you know that my intelligence can cope with uh, carrying on the idea beyond the thing. It doesn't have to be kind of wrapped up. It's 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 the questions that are asked the situations that are created and then you can be left with it ringing in your ears and you can go away and think about it and and, and that's a satisfying thing you don't want it all served up until you um your belly's full and you oh i hate spoon-fed television but like we were watching something recently i don't want to besmirch it it's a good show and it's got you know an irish actor in it who i really like but the, the american actors in it were talking in a way that people just don't speak in real life. And I couldn't watch it because it's just, yeah. that's not how we convey information to each other. We don't speak that way. We don't say our own mm. names. I'm not sitting here going, so Andrew, what would you like? I'm not saying your name every five minutes or talking about, you know, it's just, I, I it's just, I can't watch it. I can't watch stuff like that. Well, it, 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 it's, it's probably to do with people assuming that uh, the audience's attention spans are shorter and they do need kind of reminding and, now, who's that guy again? All right, you know, but it, it 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 can be insulting, can't it? And you know that clumsy way, as you say, is it's, it's exposition yeah. or whatever um, that is is done in such a clumsy way that it just takes you out of it, and you go, "No, you've lost me." That's that's utterly undermining that character and the whole sort of concept of reality in some way, yeah. Because you know you're you're making it it unreal. Yeah, find them slightly more expensive way of doing some kind of flashback or I don't was, know, <laughs> just to, to fill us in. But. Did you ever watch Dexter? No. 
I haven't seen it. Oh, it was so good. We watched it avidly, but there was a moment where we stopped taking it seriously. And there was this weird sort of um, telenovela moment in Dexter in which this character, Angel, as we call her, Angel, his partner, Maria, comes up to him in the kitchen and he's getting a drink out of the fridge. And she sort of beckons him to the bedroom and he just looks at her and he goes, it is a long way from the kitchen to the bedroom, Maria. And then the camera pans over his shoulder. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> you watch a lot of TV when you were a kid? No. <laughs> we didn't have telly uh, when I was very small. So we, when we went to my grandma's at the, at the Thursday or Friday, we, we would watch stuff. The Virginian. Is that cowboy stuff? <laughs> That was me and my brother's favourite. We were kind of at the butt end of the the westerns, yeah. You know, rawhide. It was for us. It was it was the Virginian, and then it, there was a series after that called Men from Shiloh, which was a kind of spin off series. Uh, and um, Alias Smith and Jones, no, they're the ones. Yes, that I remember that. And there was a thing called the High Chaparral that was on on Sundays, wasn't there? Yeah, yes, you watched that. Yeah, with uh, Cameron Mitchell. Um, I can remember the the actors: Henry Darrow, Mark Slade. They had one of those those um, theme tunes that reminded you a bit of the Magnificent Seven or something like that, very much of, of that era. And we loved that. And we loved, uh, you know, I think my love of denim comes from Cowboy The <laughs> <laughs> love of denim. I followed this man around shops all over the world trying to buy the perfect Levi's. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so funny. That is but, so true. You, you still but, seek them out. Uh, yeah, not, not not exclusively Levi's, but I, I like I liked a good... A good bit of denim. I've got so much of it that, you know, old stuff that, that, that I just, I keep in that and it still fits. So, hallelujah. But yeah. You've not gone Wrangler, have you? I, I haven't got any Wrangler. No, I do start and, and Diesel and, and Levi jackets. Levi's are still my favourite jacket. Oh, they're, yeah, they're really nice. Wranglers are the ones with the massive zip. For some reason, men in the 60s and yeah. 70s had the 12 inch long flies. For some reason, they go all the way up. Zip. <laughs> That's right. You just have massive dicks in the 70s. I don't understand what... They, they like to give the impression. So, talking about kids' TV, I mean, I don't know how much of it you saw. It doesn't have to be kids' TV. It could be in your teenage years. What was a TV show you saw as a kid that frightened the shit out of you? Uh... Oh, it'd be very boring to say Doctor Who, but that that's the one that sticks in my mind. That's okay. I didn't see many of them. There was one of them about some kind of stone devils or gargoyles or something that came to life. Oh. And I, I had a kind of, I mean, my parents are, um, are religious. We went to church as a child. And so uh, they, they played with Satanism on television and stuff in things like Starsky and Hutch and all that kind of thing. It was very much a theme. There was always an episode. But it, it, it was something that people sort of toyed with the idea of the supernatural more, and I think it was something that was much less less of a joke in a way. And I and I remember being shit scared of of of, of gargoyles coming to life, and these kind of they would probably be utterly risible if you saw them. You know, they're just ridiculous. But but to a to a child, and I forget, yeah, Cybermen and um, Daleks and whatever. The idea of stone devils creaking around and and another one where the, the, they were sitting, people sitting around doing some kind of seancey thing and making this giant spider thing appear. They're going, oh, man, oh, oh, I remember that. Really great Jesus. <laughs> That's awful. Well, <laughs> oh, buns triggered me. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think what TV show I, I've suddenly. It might be a Tales of the Unexpected, but there was. I remember there. You remember there were like these uh, TV shows. Oh, there were the Hammer House films, but there was a Hammer House TV show. Was there a TV show? Yes, the Hammer House of Horror. It was. It was. I don't think there were many episodes, but maybe twelve or something. But I watched one of them the other day because I remembered it, ex- and not not because of uh, I knew it was coming in here. Um, yeah, about a woman who's uh, that she's with her husband and her children. They have a car crash, and uh, she believes that he's been replaced by a doppelganger, right? Uh, because he's badly injured, uh, and there's this whole thing of um, that he had beautiful teeth. Yeah, and she thinks that this guy has bad teeth. Oh. And then she, then there's a, there's a point in it where um, uh, she, she's, they managed to convince her that this guy is that she's she she had a temporary ab- aberration and that everything is fine, and they sit around and they're celebrating and raising a glass to each other and he lifts up the glass and he goes cheers oh. and he shows her his rotten teeth oh, and I remember <laughs> oh, I remember that the impact of that I watched it the other day and of course it's. I found it. I, I dug it out on YouTube. Wow. That's horrible. You just reminded me of a couple of things that are from that same era. Um, how, the house that bled blood or something? Like they turn on the taps in the house and blood would come out? Drip blood. Yeah. Was that a TV show or a movie? The house that dripped blood. That was a TV. I think it's a movie. Oh, was it a yeah. movie? Oh. Early 70s, maybe late, one of the late Hammer films, maybe. Yeah. There, there was some kind of TV show and, and they had all these weird episodes. It must be Tales of the Unexpected, but there was this family... And they were living in a room. And every time they opened, they woke up one day and they opened the curtains and it was metal outside. And they couldn't open, they opened the door and there was nothing outside. And it got hotter and hotter and hotter and they were melting and it was getting hotter. And this, this, it was like a play for about 20 minutes, but it was getting more and more uncomfortable. They're sweating, things are melting in the room. And, and at the end, the sort of payoff is you see this other kid, a, 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 another child comes into the room and they open what is like an airing cupboard and they've left their doll's house in there. And these are the people that were in that doll's house. It just stuck with me. It's just really oh. creepy and claustrophobic and horrible. It's got to be Tales of the Unexpected, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're in short stories, uh, t- mainly a couple of books of short stories by Roald Dahl. And I think they may have made some more up when they when they worked their way through the, the Roald Dahl one. But that sounds a bit more kind of Ray Bradbury or something. But oh, it could be Ray Bradbury. Was there a TV show? There was actually a TV show called Ray Bradbury Theatre, which ran from 1985. However, the TV film I'm talking about was called Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense, Child's Play, from the year 1984. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's quite, you know, and, and the idea that it's, you know, that, that, that we're all just little atoms or something, that, that everything's sort of scaled down and there's a bigger world going on beyond you that, yeah. that sort of idea that seems to be inherent in that that story they're just people in a doll's house that think that that's the world yeah exactly yeah. well there's a lot a lot of things like that that led to me having nightmares i've talked about on here before but something i haven't talked about is a, a dream that i used to have that was recurring where i would get up in the morning for school but the sun wouldn't come up and then i couldn't quite get the lights on like the night the bulbs would just be glowing a little bit but not enough for us to see mm. and we couldn't quite see where we were but we knew it was like 11 o'clock but the sun hadn't come up and it just didn't come up that day and we were wondering if it ever would and there's just this horrible oppressive feeling and it must have come from watching shit like that yeah there's an episode i should pitch that pitch that to your friend <laughs> <laughs> how would we light it inside number nines and they're fantastic some of those are just absolutely brilliant i'd love those guys to adapt my book actually 
Yeah, there you go. You shot my dog and I love you. Available in all bookshops worldwide. <laughs> okay. So it sort of alluded to it a little bit there with um, not inappropriate content, but something you would have seen as a child that you shouldn't, that was horrific. But what about things we were exposed to in television? Like I would often come down and see the Sweeney was on and obviously they wouldn't pause that then. It would just be on and you'd have to walk through and see John Thorpe beating up a prostitute or whatever, or slapping someone around or calling someone a you know, you fucking tart or whatever. Did, did, I mean, you would have had a tally when you were older. So did your parents watch things like that? You said they're quite religious. Were they, did they watch pious television or did they, they watch the rough stuff as well or? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, sort of standard nine o'clock ITV things like Sweeney. I don't think they would have said fuck, but they, uh, I remember. It's more the violence. Yes. The violence was, was, Less checked in in some respects. I mean, it's like it's like the westerns again, and people getting shot, people carrying guns around, shooting people. It's a matter, of course, people that weren't bad yeah. characters, just killing people. When you think, couldn't you just have had a word with them? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, exactly, <laughs> wouldn't that have been you better? Just have a word Ask, you know, that is problems. The counselling. <clears throat> I do, I do. I've just remembered, uh, um, you know, one of those moments of being a child and my parents watching something. And it had the guy, the Scottish guy from my, um, some others, not some others, um, uh, in our pop mum. But uh, there was some kind of nightclub or something. And there was a, one of the strippers came in or a potential stripper yeah. uh, girl. And, and they got, she took off her top to show her breasts. And there was suddenly bare breasts bobbling around in the On, on the television, room. in your house. Yeah. And my, my mum said something to me like, look, you're, you're obviously embarrassed. It's past your bedtime. You, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be up anyway and sort of pack me off to bed. Uh, and you know, I very willingly went because I was embarrassed and I didn't quite work out what was going on. Um, and just thinking, goodness, you know, is this what grown ups do? Sit around watching (laughs) things like this? No wonder they want to pack us off to bed. At least she talked to you about it, though, because a lot of people would never bring it up. They'd just be too embarrassed or go, okay, off to bed. That was nice. Yeah. It's actually pretty sweet. Yeah. So with that in mind, what kind of situations do you find yourself in with your kids that are similar to that? Do they come in when you're watching something that you don't want them to see? Because, I mean, obviously we can pause things now. I mean, my son actually knocks on the door because, you know, if you're watching something like, I don't know, we watched the comedy show Dave or something a little raunchy, you know, you don't want them coming in to see, like, you know, someone having sex or whatever. It doesn't happen very much, to be honest, with, with us. Uh, the kids being put to bed is usually pretty conclusive, and there's usually a bit of a period where, where we fart around tidying up or whatever before we actually settle down to watch anything. And they're usually fast asleep by then. That's good. But, you know, I, I, if, if a child in the past has been, say, upset and it needs to come downstairs for a cuddle on the sofa, I tend to turn what, what we're watching off. The, 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 the closest, I would say, I get to that is is um, do, scrolling through Instagram or something on my tablet. And my yeah. daughter will appear behind me. Yeah, they do that, don't they? They're always over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah don't look at things <laughs> over my shoulder. You know, come come around here. Or, and I and I know that things do crop up, and particularly things like sort of for some reason boxing, you know, or sort of some kind of MMA video that will just start scrolling. And I think I don't want them to see people knocking the shit out of each other or... Well, just news, just news in general. It's like five dead in mall shooting or something. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And and they do, and my, both of them, you know, read, read well, and my son particularly reads very quickly. Yeah. And I, I don't want that kind of uh, vibe going around. I don't have to 
explain it no. or, 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 or even sort of confront the issue in such a way. Yeah, I don't, I don't want them to have to deal with that. I take it you're not on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Yeah, that's no. the worst thing. I was on it for just for a little while, just to sort of test the water and see what it was. And I found myself just losing time. But I was on a bus and I saw someone using it in London about a year ago. And I thought, wow, what an enormous waste of time. Why are they doing that? And then I got on it and I started doing the same thing. Yeah. And I remember even at one point going, I'll just give myself an hour to look at all this trash. And, you know, within about three minutes, you're thinking 9-11 is fake. No one's been to the moon and the world's flat. So it's like you've got to get off there <laughs> as quick as you can. I might go back on it for comedy reasons, but I'm yeah. I'm kind of scared of it in, in the way that I've never taken cocaine and I don't want to. It, uh, I mean, in the Instagram, it seems to me be somewhat like that. And I just find it, you know, it's the opposite of, of, of edifying. It, it just makes me feel bad for numerous reasons, mainly because I think I don't, shouldn't be watching this kind of thing. It sets off the wrong kind of triggers in me. Yeah. And I, walking away from it, I'm not in any way kind of improved to make me approach the next thing that I've got to do in a, in a positive way. True. And, I, and I think, why am I doing it? Yeah. And, and as, as, as you say, I think you just have to snap yourself away from it because it, it's the thief of time. And it, it also, it's very bad, I think, from, personally, for my mental health on some level, you of know, course. somewhere at the bottom end of the wedge, maybe. But uh, it's just, it's, it's, there's no, nothing good in it. I don't, I don't see that there is. No, it's just fucking noise. It's just noise. Yeah. And even if we use it in a promotional way for you, for your acting, me for the podcast and comedy, yeah. I, I'd almost rather do it without that level of interaction. Cause I want, I mean, doing this podcast, I've only now been doing, I'm, you're my, let me look up here. You're my fifth record so far. So you're uh-huh. going to be the fifth episode. I'll just let you know, Andrew, when it's going to be out. So you're going to be, this one just goes like, live on June 21st. Just like in Silo, I'm the fifth episode. <laughs> yeah, you're the fifth episode. There we are. Yeah. Mr. Five. Five is your lucky number right now. So that's true. Yeah. You're the fifth episode. And what I've found is, I know I've met, I met I met up with Andrew quite recently. We had a nice little chat in Cambridge. I went down there. Did. Um, unfortunately, I didn't feel very well that day. Sorry about that. In a way, I'm talking to people and yeah, there's a, you know, this is slightly heightened. I, I'm talking to you in a slightly different way. I would talk to you if we were in a cafe, not not that much, um, just in the in the knowledge that other people are listening. But what I found doing these it is connecting me to friends and people I've worked with, and yeah. and people who I wasn't even sure that are we friends or do we are we just acquaintances? It's kind of like I'm I'm sort of working. Oh, well, that's an acquaintance actually. We've got lots to talk yeah. about, but that's an acquaintance, not a friend. Oh my god, I didn't realize we were that close. Tick. And this is actually, you know, being the age I am, I am struggling with the notion of having real friends because, yeah. uh, you know, you're my real friend. I know you're my real friend, but I don't see you because we live hundreds of miles away from each other. So it's it's that feeling of like, this is giving me a connection again. Yeah. And it, it's in a public forum, but it is really nice to do. And to to let everybody talk about what they want to talk about. But there is a kind of, for me, it's, it's another way of engaging with people that I like, people I'm interested to hear about their lives. And you'll probably say something that you on this that you wouldn't say to me in person. So I find out more about you. You know yeah. what I mean? It's really good in that way. Yes. Uh, um, and I mean, I personally don't have many opportunities to do this. You know, the, the, the me being around people and adults at school, uh, picking up the kids say, I'm not, I'm rubbish at that. I, it, it's not something I, 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 I find myself wanting to sort of separate myself from them rather than connect with them in a lot of instances and sometimes i succeed in not doing that but it's an exception and obviously going to work you can have fabulous time on a film set or something or or even a play reading or something but 
there isn't that um, personal connection to it. And you you don't walk away from no. it feeling sort of personally enriched in the same way. And as you say, it is it is wonderful when you actually are reminded of people that 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 you actually really like and that that produce some kind of positive effect on you. That you don't feel that you're somehow um, depleted by the experience. You feel that you're enriched by it in some way. That, that might sound, you know, a bit uh, twee in some kind of way, but it it's true. And we need those things. We it's do. not just a matter of being bombarded with images and things that, well, you like this, you want, see, you know, yeah. because you you'll go, you end up sort of going doing some kind of, whoa, 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 no, no. I, when I said I liked it, I don't mean, you know. No, well, when I'm on social media, I feel that nobody knows who I am at all because they, I get bombarded with things and what they don't seem to realize is I don't want anything. I don't want anything. There's nothing I need that I don't already have yeah. apart from maybe some money to buy a house. Um, which apparently I was told recently that it's too late because there's only 16 years left for me to get a mortgage. <laughs> so they're basically telling me, you're nearly dead now. We can't lend you money. <laughs> but going back to that, I mean, this is just me talking to you, but you are <laughs> the first person that I remember ha- actively having the thought on tour afterwards going feeling good and going huh we're actually friends that's actually real because I, th- I think I went through a bit of a phase in the early theater time I don't have many from all the tours I've done handful of friends what a few two three I don't know you're one of them um yeah. but I do remember thinking that it was all very fickle because I remember the first time I went on tour I was friends with everybody I was close with everyone it was like a family and when it ended yeah I felt empty and alone and sad and and I think the closest to depression I've ever, I don't get depressed, but I definitely felt depressive. I was sad. I spent a Christmas in, in a room in Brixton going, and I spent all the money I had on tour as well. Cause I decided that I'm not going to save anything. I'm just going to have fun. And I had a really good time. And I saw one person from that tour again, 10 years later, never saw them after that. That was it. Mm. And I remember after that going, I think I got quite cold. I was on another tour and I, I remember being quite cold to this other person who was quite young and they came on the show and I was like, you know, the veteran guy who'd done three tours by this point. And they were like, oh, we're going to be friends forever. And I went, no, you're not. You're never going to fucking see him again, mate. You know, <laughs> But that's not necessarily true and not a nice thing to say. But it, it, I mean, it really is kind of true. You're close for a bit of time. And yeah, the, the tour love is, is a real thing. A friend of mine uh, who worked with Victor Spinetti, well, a guy that... He, I did get on very well with him on a, a tour many, many years ago. No, well, 98 it was. And he worked with Victor Spinetti. And Victor Spinetti gathered the whole um, group of them who had been in this play together at the end of the... He said, yeah. right, this is this is over now. Uh, you and I, we might bump into each other in the street. Just remember, we're not the best of friends. We work together on a play, right? <laughs> so let, don't treat me as if I'm your best mate, because I'm not. What is a show that was on television when you were younger mm-hmm. that you just cannot believe was on TV? It could be something that it was just creepy. It could be something a little bit dodgy that um, they just would not make it now and you can't believe it was ever on. Anything come to mind? Ooh, well, apart from mini pops. <laughs> you remember mini pops? What's mini pops? 
it, it was very short-lived because it was taken off for the very reasons that... <laughs> It, Tell me more. It should never have been on. Okay. It was, uh, as far as I remember, it, it was a sort of um, a kids' pop show which had um, preteen children dressed up and mouthing to um, the the pop hits of the time. Right. But wearing hideously inappropriate clothing. <laughs> really. Makeup all over their faces and doing all kinds of provocative dancing right. potentially provocative to the wrong sort of people you know whatever wow. um but somebody thought it was a good idea do not google this <laughs> do not google me you do not want this in your search history <laughs> certainly was um well documented at the time uh, that it I'll was take your uh, word for such it. a bad idea and who did this and that was even in those days uh, and i can't think quite when it would have been presumably maybe mid late 80s mid late 80s i thought you were talking 70s or something I'm, it could be early 80s really so does it exist? Is there is there someone dressed up as Gary Glitter in mini pops doing a stuff? Yeah, that could well exist, couldn't they? Yeah, blimey, that's really quite sort of amazing. Wow. Yeah. Does anything that springs spring to your mind? Well, just something you couldn't believe that was on. I mean, I think I think I think you've answered it. Thinking back as well, I just remembered you know shows that you shouldn't have known. Like I remember watching The Comedians. Now that ended in the seventies, and I remember watching that highly inappropriate content um sexism mm -hmm. and, and you know all of my my wife this my mother-in-law that mike reads yeah. pretty much swearing but not swearing maybe put it this way i remember going to see a firework display and the celebrity opening the the display embarking was mike reed and it was about 1979 so i must have known who he was because i was excited to meet him. but he was a, he did a kid's show called run around didn't he oh is that why i knew him run around run around that sounds Pro familiar that's probably closer to that time. run around I remember he used to read out the questions, and one of them was, "Where, where are the Hebrides?" Right. You know, he's just reading. He, he, sometimes he just get it, the, the Hebrides, you know. Whatever. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I got yeah, you. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he presented that. He was like the first. I mean, he was Cockney, but he was proper mockney, wasn't he? He was really putting it on. Absolutely, yeah. So, Andrew, obviously you're in Silo this weekend. Uh, that will have been on by the time this goes out. So, episode yeah. five, check that out. But there's another exciting. It's not television, but you can plug it. A film that you've been in, yes. Yes, um, filmed at a similar time early last year. It's a, a sort of horror a thriller, I suppose, uh, about a, an illegal uh, game show on the dark web and a, a policeman uh, attempts to uh, track down the perpetrators of it. And I play the masked, um, rather diabolical game show host. And it's fabulous. I mean, I. You know, I've become a little disillusioned with some of the theatre I, I, I've been doing and um, just turning up at that. Uh, I I'd assumed I hadn't got it. I'd, it was a self-tape thing again. And then my agent said, no, I think you're you're in the mix. And um, she got back to them. And then all of a sudden, in a big kind of flurry, I had to have a Zoom meeting with the director and uh, producer. They sent me the script. And like 10 days later, I was in Bristol filming it wow. for a week just hit the ground completely running and it was just rather than people sitting around going no i think we should do it like this and mm, what do we think about you know it was just wind up the monkey boy off you go do your stuff yeah and there's a load of you know really on it professionals standing there watching and it, i just had the time of my life it was exhausting but yeah it's just utterly thrilling i'm really i'm really looking forward to seeing it we had a market screening at Cannes this week so that's that's good news that's something that they do in order to to get um, 
distribution sorted and whatever. I mean, obviously, I don't know the synopsis of it exactly, but um, I wrote down last week, actually, completely unrelated to this, we were watching some reality TV, which I can't really stand apart from Traitors and maybe The Apprentice, things like that, mm-hmm. which is also getting a bit old. But I did write down here, this was a line I wrote last week, it goes, how far away are we from a game show where the contestants actually die? And I mean, like a proper, I mean, because Channel 4 is getting weirder and weirder. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I do believe we're, what, 20 years away from releasing some prisoners into something to get killed yeah. for a winner to walk free or something? It can't be long away. Yeah. It's going to happen. Someone's going to do it. It's grim, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about, but yeah, uh, who knows? Who knows where we're going? I mean, imagine if you pitched Naked Attraction in like 1985, they'd have gone, what? Of course not. We're not going to show people's bits. And <laughs> I'd watch it, mate, but we can't make it. Don't be daft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Andrew, thanks for coming on this. I really do appreciate it. It's nice to have a friend on. It's been a delight. Such a talented man. You too, sir. It's it's uh, nice to see you. I wish you well in all your future endeavours, and I'm sure you're going to be on telly a lot more. Um, I wish you all the very best and hope to see you soon. Thanks, man. Andrew P. Stephen there, a fine actor of theatre, television and film. Now, not only is Andrew an actor, he's also a musician, having released two albums, the first of which was called Almost Like You, which came out in 2007. I know this because I produced the album. We were on the road together as he wrote it, and one of the songs was called Baby Sleeps Alone. This was the only one we wrote together. I wrote the music, he wrote the lyrics, while we were in Newcastle of all places. The song was then taken to Tokyo for remixing, and that's the version we're going to play today. All these songs will hopefully be remastered and put up on the various music platforms shortly. I will let you know via this podcast when that happens. But for now, here it is, the Tokyo edit of Baby Sleeps Alone by Andrew P. Stephen.
those crazy lovers' games. Your naked body barred the open door. And I remember the nights when we just raved and all the messages you saved. I guess you never read them anymore. So I'm sticking to the plan. Scar is fading on my hand. You never let me go without a fight. Die is cost, bed is made. I guess I never made the grade. And I won't fall in love again tonight. I won't fall in love again. Cardiff Street in 2007, back in the day. Oh, I used to stick microphones out of windows and try and get sound effects. That's what I used to do. Anyway, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to tune in next week for another great episode of Television Times podcast. Follow us wherever you get podcasts. See you next time. Bye for now.